Okay, we're continuing by Zashem, our series, The Life and Tyra of Our Leaders. And today, we're going to talk about the Slabodka Mashkiach, the last Slabodka Mashkiach in Slabodka in Europe and Lithuania. Harav Avrom Grudzinski, Zecher Tzadik Livracha Shemikoim Damoy. Today is his 76th yard site, Chof Beis Tammuz of Tovshindal in 1944. He was killed by the Nazis. Um, there's a personal shaykhist that I have. My, the uh, Rebbe Avram is my father-in-law's grandfather. So it's a uh, very close to my heart and um, have a lot of first-hand knowledge as well from the family about uh, different aspects of his life. Who was Rebbe Avram Grudzinski? He's the author of the Sefer Teiras Avraham. He's a Musr Sefer. We'll talk about a little bit later in the Shir. Um, and he was the person that the altar from Slabotka said about him, Zechelki Mikol Amali, that this is my portion, this is my schar from all of my toil. And when you think about the Talmidim of the Altar from Slabodka, um, I would say probably most of Torah that we have in America and Eretz Yisrael post-World War II is a product of the Altar from Slabodka, Rav Shach, Rav Aaron Cutler, etc., etc. And but about Rav Avram, he said, this is it, Zechelki Mikol Amali, this is my schar, this is the product of all of my toil. His brother-in-law, Rabbi Avram's brother-in-law, was Rabbi Yankov Kamenetsky, Zichroyne Levracha. They were married to sisters. And Rabbi Yankov Kamenetsky said that the Musr movement was extinguished with the death of his brother-in-law in the Kovna ghetto. If you want to know what the original Bal Musr was, he was the quintessential Bal Musr and Rabbi Yisrael Salanter's Musr movement, so to speak, ended with the Teres Avram. Who was he? Who was the Teres Avram? So he was born Be'erech in around the year 1882 in Warsaw. Warsaw was in Poland, but his family was actually a Lithuanian um, family. They had come from Lita, very starka misnagdim, Litvaks. His grandfather's name was Rebzev, Rebzev Wolf, who came from Lita and settled in Warsaw. He was actually the one who was in charge of the Eruv in Warsaw. And it's actually written on his Matseva. His Matseva is still, um, is, is still in Warsaw, in the big cemetery in Warsaw. I was there a few years ago. Um, there's a couple hundred thousand Matsevas there, and that's the ones that are marked graves. I think there's about 400,000 graves in this uh, cemetery. Uh, many of them, like around half of them, not marked. Um, but I, I have a picture of his Matseva that I got from a cousin of mine, but I searched for a very, very long time, and I had maps and things like that, and I could not find his Matseva of Zev Wolf. 
but I have pictures from a cousin who was actually at um, the Matseva. The caretaker wasn't able to help me because officially there had been a there had been a storm the week before that knocked down a lot of trees and they had cordoned off a lot of the cemetery. They were afraid trees were continuing to fall, so you weren't allowed to go to, to numerous to many of the places. Uh, we went anyways. We've come from America for a one-day trip. You know, it was at our own risk. Um, Baruch Hashem, nothing happened. But um, the caretaker would refuse to help me uh, find. Uh, he he knew ex- he should have known exactly where it was. But that's what it says on his matzevah. He was in charge of the eruv. And in fact, if you are involved in eruvin at all, when it comes to city eruvin, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of halachic talk in the responsa and the chuvasvarim about using telephone poles, telegraph poles, and if you learn Mishnabura, you know that the Mishkan as Yaakov is a big player in the world of Sidi Eruvim, Lechumra. There's another sefer called the Shari Tziyayin from the Bilskarov, who um, is actually, argues very much on the Mishkan as Yaakov, and he's known as the Mekel. His famous tshuva, Simon Gimel and Shari Tziyayin, is written to Rebzev Volf, um, it doesn't say his last name, but this is Rebzev Grzinski, who was in charge of the Eruv of Varsha. So that really is like the source of the Kulas in a lot of Hilchas Eruvin, um, in city Eruvin, was to him, was to Rebzev. Rebzev had a son whose name was Reb Yitzchak. He was called Reb Itcha. Reb Itcha lived in Warsaw. His house was a, a gathering place, a base of Ad Lechachamim. The Chavetz Chaim, when he first came to print the first Chelek of Mishnabura, came to Warsaw, and Reb Itcha invited him to his home. And from then on, for many years, the Chavetz Chaim, any time he was in Warsaw, would stay in Reb Itcha's house. It was a house that um, that was full of chesed. The, the mile of Reb Itcha was, he created in Warsaw a, a, um, a system of Bate Midrashos for the working man. And there was different uh, Bati Midrashas. There was like the Tailor's Base Medrash and the uh, Carpenter's Base Medrash and, I don't know, the Plumber's Base Medrash. And each um, type of, uh, of, of, of um, trade had their own Base Medrash and he had Shiurim constantly going on there. And that way he got the Balabatim very involved in learning and they learned Mishnabura. Once that came out in Musrasvarim and he had his family involved. I think his, his, his son-in-law was involved. And... Um, so much so that the Chavetz Chaim came to be Maspin him when he was Nifter. Um, he was Nifter uh, 99 years ago in uh, 1920. Um, his yard said it was Chav Sivan. The Chavetz Chaim came to be Maspin him, and the Chavetz Chaim said, You think we built Taira? He says, Your bitch is the one who built Taira. And he told Rabbisar Zalman Meltzer, it's in the in the Sefer B'derech Chaim, he told Rabbi Zalman Meltzer that most of the Torah in Warsaw was in the schus of Rabbi Itcha from all these Bati Midrashim, and Warsaw was in Irvaim Yisrael, it was a very big city. Um, he was uh, the schus of Rabbi Itcha's work. Like I said, he was a big Gaimach Hasadim, there were Aniyam on his table, always by his table, Achnasis Kala. He actually used to take in a lot of like children, used babies used to be left on doorsteps and things like that. Asufim, who knows where they came from, uh, you know, um, illegitimate marriages and things like that. And he used to take them into his into his home and um, and raise them. He actually there's a sefer to there's a tshuva that he asked in the sefer tshuvas pnei arye hakai 
from um, from a rav named Reb Chaim Lev Rottenberg from the city of Stavisky, Stavsky, and um, a long, long tshuva where he asks him how is he supposed to handle with these kids, and it goes into a lot of halachas of roiv goyim of of, of perish min roiv kavua mechsa mechsa what you should do with them are they mamzerim it was it's a long tshuva and he gives him about six or seven klalim of how to deal with them, so that was Rebitcha, a house full of chesed. And uh, in fact, as I said, he was Nifter in 1921, and I was at his. He's also buried in Warsaw, and he's um, right uh, on the on the pathway toward when you go to the Nitziv and to Reb Chaim Brisker um, towards their Kvarim, so it's easier to find. So I was there at his kever, and the first line on his kever says, The Torah and Avoida is crying for this great loss, and um, that is his his uh, matseva in the cemetery in Warsaw. So his son was the Rebbe Avram that we are talking about, whose yards it is today. Rebbe Avram was sent to learn in for a short period of time in the yeshivas in Lamja, and then he was in Radin. And when he was 17 years old, he came into the yeshiva of Slabodka. 17, he was a young younger for, I think, for the normal age of Slabodka Talmidim. But at the age of 17, he became, he went to the yeshiva of Slabodka, and immediately he stuck out as one of the best Talmidim. And even the older Talmidim um, were filled with uh, his spilos from his potential and from his kaychais. He was smart, he, 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 he was brilliant, but he also was very down-to-earth. He had clarity, he had midas, he was, he was sweet. And um, not very long, it didn't take very long for the altar to actually put him on the Mizrach wall, on the Mizrach vant. And the world of Slabodka is the world of Gadlus Ha'adam, that a person is great and a person has to live up to that greatness. That's there, that was the Shita of Slabodka. So there was a whole hierarchy in the Slabodka. Um, there were titles that were given, Meirenu and things like that, and you had to earn it. And to sit on the Mizrach Vant, the, the altar of Slabotka would put a person up there. It was an Achrayis. And he would put up the biggest Lamdanim. He would put up the biggest Bali Musar. Even though they perhaps felt as Bali Musar, the Anivas, they shouldn't be up there. But that's part of Anivas, is knowing who you are and what you are. Um, and using it to grow. And the altar was brilliant at, 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 uh, at understanding people and building up people. And this is how it worked in Slabodka. And it didn't take very long until he was also put up on the Mizrachvant, um, Rebbe Avram. Like we said, he became very close to the altar. And the altar eventually said on him, Zechelki Mikolamali, that from all my toil, all my Talmidim, it was all Kedai for to have a Rebbe Avram. In fact, the Chavetz Chaim met, or I should say, Rabbi Avram once met the Chavetz Chaim later on, and um, the Chavetz Chaim was nispoil from from Rabbi Avram, and he said that we make svarim. He says, but the altar from Slabodka, he creates people, and that's what he was nispoil from. What the altar was able to help Rabbi Avram become, as uh, as he said, Zachelki Mikol Amali. He was a person. Who he worked on himself with 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 great strength and every single mida um, to to be in control to perfect midas toivos 
um, but it was done with its sneos. It was done as an internal work. On the outside, you weren't able to see the amount of effort and work that he was putting into to things. In fact, the altar said about him, about Rabbi Avram, that Rabbi Avram tore out pieces of his flesh from his body, and he broke himself entirely. Every piece of him was broken and rebuilt in perfection. And when they asked the altar, is he the only one who ever did such a thing? Other people also changed their entire being. And he says, it's true, other people did. But the difference is with Rebbe Avram, when he broke his bones and when he broke his body, we didn't hear the crack. We didn't hear the noise. You didn't know it was happening. Other people, you saw that they're working hard on things and, and, and things like that. It was, it, was, it, was, it was clear what was going on. But with Rabbi Avram, you would think nothing was happening. But internally, he was changing himself, working on himself. And in fact, they say, and this I heard, it's, it's brought down, but I heard from our uncle, Rabbi Yitzchak Krasinski, Zechariah Levracha, Rabbi Avram's youngest son, Rabbi Yitzchak, was just nifter this past winter, and he said that um, it's well known that Rabbi Avram worked on the Midah of Sever Panim Yafais for two years. For two years he worked on the Midah of always being in a good mood with a smile on his face. And this Midah was clear that he acquired it, as we'll see as he went through the war in the Kavna Ghetto, he always had a Sever Panim Yafais. But he worked for two years Two years to be kind of that midah, to always have a smile, to always look like that he's in a good mood and be in a good mood. This is how he worked on himself and he changed himself. Of course, as a person who was a, a yagaya, someone who toiled in, in, in midahs, he was amal yagaya batayra also. Unbelievable yagaya batayra standing on his feet. And as we'll see, he had terrible, terrible issues with his feet. But he stood on his feet for hours and hours and then learning. He was a goin batayra. He was very involved in the running of the kavna kailal. Slabodka is, a, Slabodka is a suburb of kavna. Kavna is a gigantic city. Slabodka is right over a little river. I was like to be on that river over that bridge to go into Slabodka. Actually, a year ago yesterday, um, we were there. I was there. That was the second time I was there. I was there a few years ago as well. The, the, the bridge, Kavna was a big city. It was not a, there was a lot of Jews in Kavna, a lot of Hillel Shabbos, and a lot of Friar people in Kavna. But the altar from Slabodka used to say that the bridge only goes in one direction. When you cross over the bridge into Slabodka, you become a changed person. The bridge, the bridge only goes one way, from Kavna into Slabodka. You never go back to the way you were before. And um, so he was involved in the Kavna Kailo. And one of the Yungalite once came, I think for a beginner or something like that, and Reb- Avram asked him, what are you learning? And he was learning Erevin, and he started talking to him, and the younger man, and you, you had to be something chashev to be in the Kavna Kailo. Rabbi Yankiv Kamenetsky was in the Kavna Kailo. Rebellia Svei's father was in the Kavna Kailo. That's how Rebellia Svei and Rebaldo Chaim, Reb Shmuel Kamenetsky, I'm talking to Philadelphia Ilam, they were friends since they were kids, because their fathers were together in the Kavna Kailo. And other Gedalim as well. And the Yigaman said that Rabbi Avram was talking to him in Masechta Ervin as if this was the only Masechta he had learned in his entire life. And he was still in it, in the, in the most intricate sugyas. He had it at his fingertips. So as much as he was Amal in his Midois and his Musr, he was Amal v'yegea batayra. 
In 1904, Tafresh there was a big machlaikas in Slabodka about learning Musr. Interesting, in Slabodka, about the learning of Musr, is it a bit Taira? And that was a different history about the Musr movement. Um, at that point, there were two factions in, uh, in Slabodka. Rabbi Avram was, of course, on the Musr side. At that point, Reb Lezer Gordon from Tell sent a message to the altar that he wants to set up his yeshiva in Tells with the Derech HaMusr. Please send him some Bachrim. And the altar sent him Reb Avram with some others. There were people who were saying that's crazy because those are the ones who are fighting for Musr and Slabodka. If you let them go, the other side's going to win. But the altar was so smart and he understood that the other side was really jealous of the Bali Musr. And if the Bali Musa are taken out of the equation, it'll calm down. The whole Machlaikas will calm down. And Taka, that's what happens. Rabbi Avram was sent with others, and the, the other side had no one to fight with, and that was it. That was really the end of, end of the uh, Machlaikas. But that's the first time Rabbi Avram became a Mashpia, and tells he started giving over and teaching, and uh, he, he, the, his inner potential of being someone who could be Mashpia on others finally was coming to fruition. After two years, he came back to Slabodka, and at that time he started repeating over the altar's shmuzim. The altar would say a shmuz, it was very, it was, uh, it was very deep. He would repeat it to the Talmidim, he would explain things, and in the beginning he was just like a conduit, a middleman between the Bachram and the altar. Uh, not long after that, the altar allowed him to start speaking to Bachram privately, and he would spend hours with Bachram being madrich them and, and teach them how to be the best. Reb Meir Chodr says he once had a session with him for seven hours straight uh, and uh, working on a midah. Rav Hutner, Zechrein Levracha, was also a Talmud of Rav Avram. He also said he spent Shois Aruchas with him, um, talking to him, um, uh, uh, and, and, and Rav Avram being madrich the Talmidim. As Rav Mardchat Zuckerman, who ended up being a Talmud in the Kavna Ghetto, he said he was a Goin in Kaychas Hanefesh. He was able to understand a person and uh, have him arise, know exactly what his Kaychas is and how, how to bring them out and how to work on himself. He was, that was his, his Godless, very similar to his Rebbe, the Alter from Slavodka. In 1911, he got married to the daughter of David Svi Heller. Rebbeir Hershi was called, Reb Dov Tzvi. Reb Dov Tzvi was called the Mashkiach Katan in Slabodka. Um, he was like called the Ema Yeshiva, like the Yeshiva mother, because he took care of the physical needs of the Bachrim. Um, he was a tzaddik, he sat and learned in Talos and Tfilin. He had smicha from Rabbi Yitzhak Elchanan. In the end of his life, he moved to Yerushalayim. And um, they found, after he was nifter in the house, a smicha from Rabbi Tzokochanan, which they didn't know that he had had. He always kept it a secret. Um, he was a Talmud of the Alter in Slabotsky. I learned in Kelm a little bit as well. And, um, like I said, he, he ended up in Yerushalayim, Besayif Yamav. He was nifter very short afterwards. After he came to Yerushalayim in 1935, he's buried on Harazesim in the Chelka of, of Hebron. I was at his cover a few times as well, just recently... Um, in November time, less than a year ago, um, his wife, his Rebetzin, was Nifter in 1941, and so she was an Almona for about six years from when he was Nifter, and she lived right in the same building, I think, as Rebel Yashiv when he was a younger man. He, she used to eat the Shabbos Sudas there by Rebel Yashiv and by Rebel Yashiv's father also as well um, in Yerushalayim. Rav Shach, when he came to Slabotka, he had issues with money as well, and Rav Doiv Tzvi helped him out, and from then on, 
uh, Reb Shach would stand up Meloi Kaimasai for any of the Eniklach of Reb David Tzvi Heller Al Takaras Atay for him uh, helping him. So he married the daughter of David Tzvi Heller, like we said that Reb Yankov Kamenetsky was also married to another daughter of David Tzvi Heller. Um, in the First World War, Slabotka had to leave, the yeshiva had to leave Slabotka, they went to Minsk, into, into Russia, and other places, and at that time, Rabbi Avram stepped up and took a, a, a lot of responsibility for, for, for the yeshiva in Gullus, and when they finally came back after the war, after World War I, so he, the altar made him a part of the Anhala, and that's when he started saying shmuzim to the yeshiva. But his shmuzim weren't like musr shmuzim where someone said a, a shmuz and everybody listened. Because his shita was in musr, as, as my uncle Reb Yitzhak would refer to the Sefer Teres Avram, it's a lamdish musr sefer. As we're, we'll see a little bit more, we'll talk about it in a few minutes, about what he felt Musr was. Musr and agada were also halacha. And you have to go through it and get to the bottom of it like any other halacha. And therefore, just like in a shir, people hack in with questions and rayas and they argue, he wanted the same thing to happen with his Musr shmuzim. And if it didn't happen, he was very upset. And he, he was very ups- he, he wanted to make sure that people know that just like when you come to halacha, there's a certain diktuk, there's exactness, there's no room for error. Because if, there's, if you err in halacha, you're eating treif, you're doing an iser. The same thing is when it comes to agada. And in fact, he used to say that it bothers him that the marsha split his pirush into two, chidushe halachas and chidushe agada. Like, you know, in the back of the Gemara, there's the part agadita, it's like a separate piece, and it's in different letters. And he says, because you have to put them together. They're all in one. They need the exact same diktuk. And in fact, the truth is the Marsha himself in the Akdama writes that he had charata because he should have put them together. But it was too late. He wasn't able to change the printing of his Sefer. For example, what does it mean halacha lemaisa and agada? I'll give you two examples. One example was, there was a point that Rabbi Isaac Sher, who was the Rashiva of, uh, of Slabotka later, um, the altar's son-in-law, had a uh, had a heart attack, and Rabbi Avram also wasn't well. So Rabbi Avram asked one of the Talmidim, Ramosha to Gachinsky, to send a letter to the Chevron Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, that they should go with a minion to, to the Kaisel to Davin for the Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi Isaac Rabbi Avram. So Rabbi Moshe wrote the letter, and before he sent it, he showed it to Rabbi Avram. And Rabbi Avram told him, how could you write in the same sentence that both Rabbi Isaac and myself are not well? Those are two, two puranias. Those are two things that are troubles, are tsaris. You can't put two tsaris together. How do I know? We all know that in Parshas Baalaischa, there's two psukim vayhib in uvanucha yaymar, and there's upside down nuns in the Torah between before and after. Chazal say why? Because when you have two calamities, you need a break. You can't have them together. So Rabbi Avram learns from there, you don't say two tsaras in the same sentence. So he told them, how could you write in the same sentence? Chazal say you can't do that. First write Rabbi Isaac Sher had a heart attack. Then you write some other things. And when you get to the end, you'll write that I'm also not well and they should daven. So he's learning up, and this is what he learned. Every Agada was a halacha lemaisa. Um, another thing he learned, Chazal tell us that the la'yil of the Aseris Hadibris was said, Belash and Yachid, 
as opposed to saying Gebelashen Rabbim, so that by the Chet HaEgel, Moshe Rabbeinu would have a way out for Kla Yisrael to say, you only told me not to serve Avaydazara. Not Kla Yisrael, you said it in singular form. So he learned from there that when you go to a person and give and ask for something, you should always leave them room to be able to have an excuse to get out. And, um, Anytime, sometime, one time he sent a telegram somewhere and he left out his name that just in case it didn't work out, the person has a way of, 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 of getting out of it. You have to, he learned that from, from Chazel. So everything was learned up, all Haggadah was learned up, Halacha Lamaisa. It was, he was a Bucky, like we said, he was a major Bucky in Halacha. And a, and a, and and medaktek, not just in the agad the halacha has been a halacha as well, and especially in arachayim, arachayim of daily living, because that's a that's a Jew's life is arachayim. He was a very big baki and a big medaktek. He was a he was a big bal yisurim. He had rheumatism in his feet and the terrible yisurim he had from it his whole life. That was one yisurim that he had in um, in um, nineteen. 29, Tafresh Peites, his wife, his Rebetzin was Nifter, and left him over with eight children, the oldest being 18, the youngest, our uncle Rabbi Yitzchak, who was only one year old at the time. And he, he, he was, it was terrible pain for him. Ten years later, he wrote in a, in a, uh, in a letter, it's already ten years and I still, still the, the, the rip in my heart has not been healed. But at the same time, he was he was a medaktek, and if Chazal say you have to, a person has to recite the bracha of Dayan Ha'emes besimcha, it has to be besimcha, melkabluna besimcha. And it took him two days. He locked himself in his room for two days from when he heard about her petira. She was nifter in, in Kenningsburg, which is now Kaliningrad, on the uh, Baltic Sea. I was in the, where Bishal Salanter is buried. I was there as well a few years back. Um, so she was nifter there, and she's buried there. There's no kvar, there's no matzevas there. Only Rebbesel Salanter. It's a big, big forest. But um, but two days till he said the bracha of Dayan Ames, he was shakua. He was he was in th- deep in thought until he felt he got to the hakara that he's able to accept the pesimcha, and um, and that's when he made the bracha of Dayan Ames. And in fact, he he had a a, a shita. And modern psych- psych- psychologists and psychiatrists, perhaps, are just getting up to that shita nowadays. And he had a shita, and he said, you can't say that bad is good. That's not the point. A person has to experience the pain. A person has to go through the ra, and yet have the amuna and the hakara that this is the emes. And there's a emes in it, and needs to happen. And that's how you recite the bracha. And he would say, if you don't feel the pain of what's being sent to you, so then you're not getting the message. A person has to live with the pain. And that's what they say nowadays, the modern psychology, is that you can't stuff the pain. A person has to work through it. you got to feel it to be able to grow from it and come out and be healed from it. And this is something that he said about 100 years ago, or, more, or whatever it is, um, almost 100 years ago, that he wrote about this. The next thing in 1929... About five months after his Rebetzin was nifted was the Chevron pogrom in Chevron, the Yeshivas Chevron, which was a um, which was a, a branch of Slabodka. And in fact, in 1924, the altar sent Reb Avram to establish the Yeshiva in Chevron, and um, he established the Yeshiva. The next year, 1925, the altar switched places with him. The altar moved to Eretz Yisrael. He sent Reb Avram back. 
And when the altar was nifter, not long after the altar, Bavram was was very upset. He was hoping to to, to learn from the altar in Eretz Yisrael. Um, he, he very much wanted to be in Eretz Yisrael. He, 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 in 1935, he visited Eretz Yisrael again, and he was, he, he, there was a Asifa Zikaran for the altar. But, um, but in 1929, as I said, that um, there was the, the pogrom in, uh, in Hebron, that also his, his brother was killed, family members were killed, and um, that was another, another thing that hit him very strong. And um, in the Akdama to Teres Avram, they write that he never got remarried. He was left over with eight children. And he wrote that he decided to raise them on his own because he felt that if the Bnei Yeshiva see that he's a Baal Yisurim, so for sure he'd be able to have a greater hashpa on them. If they're able to see he's a Baal Yisurim and still in Oivet Hashem and still be able to teach them, all his teachings will go straight and deep into his, into his heart. And in fact, in the year... 1937, Tafresh Tzadizai, in 36-37, he gave a series of nine Shmuzim on Yisurim, and it's printed in the Sefer Teres Avram. And Rav Hutner said, Roy Hadvarim Lamisha Imram. His whole life he worked on being Mekabal Yisurim. And the Talmudim said, these Shmuzim weren't like lip talk. They, they were able to see he lived the Shmuzim. He lived the Yisurim and he lived and he created the Shmuzim from what he grew from the Yisurim. And that was something very big by him. And in fact, in 1943, in the middle of the Kovna Ghetto, the Dvar Avram, the Kovna Rav was Nifter. And Rabbi Avram, the Teres Avram, asked, the, the Dvar Avram was, was house was all the way on the other side of the ghetto, and Rabbi Avram couldn't walk, and it was very hard to get a wagon to go. But he, he very much wanted to see the Devar Avram before he's buried, before the Levaya. And they asked him, what was so important? He said, because the Devar Avram was a Baal Yisurim. And I wanted to see his guf as a Baal Yisurim, because if the, I'll see him through that, he'll be even greater in my eyes. He'll be the Dvar Avram, the Kovner Rav, but that he's a Baal Yisurim, he'll be even greater in my eyes. That's who Rav Avram, that's who he was as a Baal, a Baal Yisurim. Um, in 1939, the Russians, the war began, and the Russians invaded Lithuania, and they turned the yeshiva building into a concert hall. And from here, Rav Avram, from here on on, Rabbi Avram focused on the Mida, Keneged Mida, in everything that happened to them. And our uncle Rabbi Yitzchak spoke to us. We called him last year from the Kovna Ghetto. Yet last night it was Chaf Aleph going into Chaf Beis Tammuz. And he reiterated to, to us as everything was learnt up Mida, Keneged Mida. And it bothered him. Why was the yeshiva building turned into a concert hall? And he said, he said, and he was very, he was very hard on himself and on the bnei yeshiva. And he said, we thought that we learned taira mitaych aini. We thought that we 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 were being meiser nefesh for taira. But Hakadosh Baruch Hu taught us that no, we must have been mivato mitaych aisher. A play on the 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 Mishnah Masechta Avos. He says. If the yeshiva was turned into a concert hall, that means to say that when we were in the yeshiva, it was as if we ate a little bit, we drank a little bit, and then we went to the yeshiva to learn and enjoy ourselves in the base medrash. And the Mida Kenegamida was turned into a place of enjoyment, a concert hall. And, you know, we're talking about Gaine Eilam and Slabodka, and the learning there was Mitaychat Chak, and they didn't have money, and, 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 and yet he felt Shamayim was showing them Amida. Kinegan Mida. 
This was in 1939. In 1941, in the end of Sivan, the Nazis invaded. And if you, when you know this part of the history, you see, you, you figure out what happened. See, the, the Russians came in and everything was communist. Now, the Jews, Kedarkam, you know, we don't fight the people who, who take over a country. We don't have vested interests, Lithuanians, Russians, uh, Germans. So if the Russians are there, we're going to be nice to them because we want to survive. But when the, when the Nazis came in, um, the Lithuanians were given free reign to do whatever they want. And the first thing they did was they fought against anyone who thought was a communist. Because they hated the communists. They, the communists took over their independence. They hated the Russians that were there. But of course you take that out on the Jews, especially if the Jews were also a bit friendly, so to speak, and played the game with the, with the Russians. So the excuse was they were looking for communists. So the Nazis started bombing in 1941, Kovna. A lot of people left Slabodka. The terrorist Avram with his family left as well, not to not to be uh, you know to be bombed. And um, when he left on a wagon with his family, he was sitting with his kapotter and his hat as if he was going to the yeshiva to say a shir. And they asked him like, "What's the pshat?" And he said, "I don't understand." Again, this is his agada as halacha. Chazal say, "Afilu al yeshana Even Sakana, you don't change from the rabbonus. And if you look in Rashi, Rashi says, "Chananya Mishova Zaritz Gemara Sanhedrin." They went to be burnt in the furnace with big day sifarta. They went with their their chashuvah clothing. And the marsha, if you look at the marsha, he says, "Why? Because a person shouldn't show that he's mitzdair." And the din of Shemayim, he should be mekabelit ba'ava uvesimcha derech kavod. So it was a halacha lemaisa. It wasn't like I got it to Gemara. You learned Chazal say afilu b'shasas akana. You 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 go with your chashiva clothing. So shasas akana he went. They returned to Slabodka a few days later. My uncle, I, I listened to a recording recently of him saying this, and it was Thursday, Rishchaydish Tammuz, and the Lithuanians started a pogrom, pogrom, killing people, and they passed by Rabbi Avram's house, and they were heard saying, this is where the Rabbiner lives, this is where the Rav lives, um, we don't, uh, we're not going in there. That's when the famous story with Rabbi Hanan happened. Rabbi Hanan, during the, during the time of the pogrom, Rabbi Avram told him, prepare a shir, a halacha shir. Rabbi Hanan said, he's not misugal to do this, he, he's, it's a tumult, prepare a shir, you need to be calm. Rabbi Ram told him, no, you have to give a shir on Kiddush Hashem. And Rabbi Hanan went to a room for a few hours and he came out and they said a shir on Elchus Kiddush Hashem. And then Rabbi Ram gave a shmuz on the schus of giving up one's life on Kiddush Hashem. Ten days later, eleven days later, on Yudal of Tammuz, the pogrom was already over. Two Lithuanians came in and they decided they're going to take all the men out of the house. There were yeshiva bachram learning in the house a lot of, again, it was a pogrom time. People came to Rabbi Avram for chizuk, there were bachram learning on all three, four floors of the house. Rabbi Chana was there and these two Lithuanians decided, yeah, we're going to chaper with the Rav's house and they wanted to take all the men. And uh, that's when they took Rabbi Chana together with 12 others, one of them being Rabbi Avram's son as well was taken. And um, that's when, they, and they were killed at the seventh fort, right outside of Kavna. Um, they didn't take Rabbi Avram because he couldn't walk; he had feet problems, and there was no uh, wheelchairs or things like that. So they left him there. The two Lithuanians actually had a dinu dvarim. Rabbi Chanan was learning there, and they were arguing whether they should take Rabbi Chanan or not. He wasn't a Lithuanian citizen, and um, and back and forth, Rabbi Chanan he just sat and learned while they were arguing: should they take him out to be killed or not? Um, 
So Rabbi Avram wasn't taken, but in the words of, of our uncle Rabbi Yitzchak, who lived with his father Zemuna, he says, why wasn't he taken? It was a Gzairus Elia, and that's what the Rabbi Nisham wanted, that he should live for the three years of the whole ghetto, which is a Pella, that he should live through the whole thing. They killed Rabbanim, those are the first ones that they took. And, 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 and older people, he wasn't a young man, he wasn't a well man, and yet Hashem Gzairus Elia kept him alive to Mimchazek to B'nai Torah. And the Kovna Ghetto was from 1941 to 1944. Every Friday night, the Bnei Ter would come to his house and he would say shmuzim and give them chizuk. Some of them were written down and they were buried in the Kovna Ghetto together with some of the writings of the Dvar of Ram, the Kovna Rav, but they were not found after the war. And even the, the people who survived, Rav Mordechai Tzukerman, Zechrein Levracha, Rav Shmuel Yaakov Raz, Zechrein Levracha, Talmidim, they didn't really remember much of the shmuzim that he said. Very bits and pieces. And they, they saw it as Ashkach of Ram Hashem, that those shmuzim were for that kufa and that kufa only, to be mechazek them. And after the war, it's kilu, they forgot all of those, all those shmuzim. Um... After Myra Friday night, he made sure that everyone sang Adoin Elam for a chizuk. Tzur Chevli Beisara, Hashem Li Ira. They would all sing it together as a chizuk. Adoin Elam is Takamar Dika Chizuk Beisara. In part of teaching everyone to be Noise Ba'olim Chavere, like we said, he was a tremendous Balmidais. Um, you know, anytime there was a selection, and like I said, it was Xeris Elia and Anais, he survived all these selections. Um, most people who survived the selection were sent to the right, were very happy. But he would cry for days afterwards, because even though he survived, what about all the people who didn't survive? You have to be noisy ba'olim chaveroi, and it pained him very much. Again, he used an agadita as a halacha The Gemara tells us in Sanhedrin, what's an example of an apikairis? So the Gemara says, according to one shita, one, one amaira, someone who says, What do the Rabbanan do for the world? And the Gemara says, Araya, that Rabbanan and Sadiqim save the world, because by Stoim it says, if there be ten Sadiqim, Hashem says, I'll save the city. So he learned from there that ten Sadiqim could save the city. And if you don't believe ten Sadiqim could save the city, the Gemara is saying, you're not so he set up ten tzaddikim, he felt ten people, and he gave them, Tamidi Chachamim, things to work on, that they should be the ten tzaddikim, that Hashem maybe will use their schus to save the city. And every Shabbos, it was like a musarvah, they would get together, and he would tell them what to be mechazikin, and he said, if you don't believe it, you're not bikairis. Like we said, everything he learned up, midah keneged midah. In general, he felt there were twelve things that brought about Churban of Europe. Um, and he felt there was Midah Kenegad Midah involved in them. The 12 things, I'll just say them quickly Amuna, Shabbos, Taras Amishpacha, Machalas Asuros, Ribis, Chinachabanim, Bitul Taira, Avas Yisrael, Chesed, Histapkus, Bitachain, and Eretz Yisrael. These were 12 things he felt that were brought about the Churban and needed to be worked on. Um, in in the there was a, it as the ghetto it was getting more serious as it was getting towards the end of the ghetto they wanted to make a yom tefila and he he wasn't happy about it he said we need a yom tefila we need a yom tshuva tefila is wonderful if he said Hashem is not being our tefilas he's laughing at our tefilas how are we davening we have to do action it's not there has to be an action of course he wasn't chas v'shalom denigrating tefila. But he was trying to bring out a point. We have to change ourselves. We have to work on ourselves to make a Yom Tshuva.
Towards the end of the, the ghetto days, they, um, as they were liquidating the ghetto in 1944, people were hiding, and he was hiding as well with his family, and uh, they found the bunker that his family was hiding in, and he was beaten, and they hit his feet, and he, he was in terrible pain. I think he might have fainted even, and they had to take him to the, the, the uh, hospital in the ghetto. He was taken to the hospital, and... Um, in the Hakdama Tataris Avram, it says that he knew the liquidation was going to happen. He knew they were going to burn down the hospital. He asked them to schlep him to the place where they're gathering all of the of the ghetto inhabitants. And they told him, even if you make it there, who said, we, how's it going to work? You know, you can't walk, you're not healthy, just stay. So he said, the famous word from the Altar of Slabodka, that when Yoina was saying that he has to be thrown into the, into the sea, he said, Sauni, lift me up and throw me into the yam. And the altar said, why does it say lift me up and throw me into the yam? Just throw me into the yam. Says the altar, every moment of life is precious, and a person has to work on making sure to preserve every moment. And Yoyna was saying, don't just throw me over, lift me up, and then throw me over. When you lift me up, there's another minute I have in life. And that's what Avram was saying. Avram was saying, you have to make sure to try your best to get every moment of life. Every moment of life is precious. And it, with all that it is, schlep me there with all the pain that I'm in. But if it's another minute of life, so uni, that's something that you have to try to get. <coughs> Excuse me. Even his amun at the end, even as everything was being liquidated, the Nazis were getting ready to burn down. He said, I'll have to stay here. Maybe from here the Yeshua will come. His amun that Yeshua will still come. And the ghetto was liquidated on Chafal of Tammuz of 1944. And then the, from then, the next few days, the Nazis started burning down the entire ghetto, including the hospital was burnt down on Chafbeis Tammuz of Tavshin Dalit, together with the body of Rabbi Avram. As we said, if to understand him as the quintessential Bal Musar, as Rabbi Yankov said, the Musar movement was extinguished when he was burnt in the Kavna ghetto. Hashem Yikoim Damay. And I just want to end off with one mimer that our uncle Rabbi Yitzchak, the last few years of his life, was repeating over and over. I heard it from him so many times. Um, I spoke to him on the phone, and that's a shmuz called V'halachta Bidrachav in Tairus Avram. person has to go in the ways of Hashem. I think there's another. There's a, one of his sons-in-laws from after the war, Rabbi Baruch Rosenberg, the Rashiva of Slabodka, he said the reason Rabbi Avram was so hard on himself, medaktek, is because it says Hashem is medaktekim chasidov. Hashem is exact with tzaddikim. So there's a mitzvah of going in the ways of Hashem. He went in the way of Hashem. So in this shmuz about v'halachta bidrachov, Rabbi Avram is bothered. Hashem is a mative. Hashem does chesed for the entire world. How could we do chesed with the entire world? If there's a mitzvah of that means in all of the jerachim of Hashem. Again, you hear the, the halacha in the Agadah. How do we do this lamaisa? And he says that all of tefillah is said and rabim, in plural. Everything we say, chonenu, hashivenu, rifoenu. If we think about it and we daven for the entire world and rabim, we are doing chesed im kol ha'olam kuloi. That's how we could do chesed im kol ha'olam kuloi. And our uncle Rav Yitzchak would always throw in, 
It's this person on the Shmuz, and he says, Think about the words, Ushmart Seisenu Uvayenu, Lechayim Ulishalayim Yatavi Adelam. Hashem guard us, are going out and coming in. Lechayim Ulishalayim Yatavi Adelam. We say it every night in Ashkivenu. And we don't just daven for that day, we daven Me'atavi Adelam. If we have in mind for the entire world, we could do Chesed with the entire world. And I told this to my Kehillah, as, we, as we're in this coronavirus matziv and the lockdown is not as strong as it was earlier and we're going in and out and there's still there's still a sakana we have to daven to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for ourselves but for the whole Gantz Klai Yisrael and the whole Welt with that way we could do chesed Im kula. you can imagine the schus of doing chesed with the entire world that's the mimer one of the unbelievable mamarim from the Teres Avram I hope I've given you an insight into who he was Hashem Yikayim Damai his is the Torah that we've said today and any <coughs> and any Aliyah that we've had, and if you want to get a hold of the Sefer Teres of Rum and start learning it, an unbelievable Lamdisha Muster Sefer, as I said, it should be, it should be a Melitz Yeshur, a person who felt the pain of Klai Yisrael, the person who lived through pain, the person who had such strong Amuna, Shitakabi Aschus, for our Mishpacha and for Gans Klai Yisrael, that we should only see Yeshua Sanachamis. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.